Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. One of the main anxieties pushed off on the world by Satan is the problem of history. That's what we want to talk about today in this prophecy in Habakkuk that we just read, is the problem of history. You see, today... People are perplexed with the historical situation going on around them. You look around and you wonder, why is it like this? I mean, now up until about 1914, 1915, we had a different problem. It wasn't the problem of history that was bugging everyone. It was the problem of science. In the 19th century and in the centuries before that, the biggest problem was that science was purported to be a threat to the validity of Christianity. You had, during those centuries, critics who said that the Bible was scientifically wrong. Wrong and in great error is just messed up, lies, and wrong, etc., etc., etc. And they would point to things like the Bible statement that the sun stood still and various things like that and say... It's impossible. The Bible is scientifically impossible. And so Christianity was always arguing, wrangling with science. And if you ever see a book on Christianity and science, the great books, the great traditional books, were all books written at the very beginning of this century. And the latter part of the last century. And I'm, I'm not, when I say this century, I'm dating myself here. I'm not talking about from 2000 on. I'm talking about the 1900s. Okay. So when I say this century, I'm thinking, you know, to me, I'm, st- I'm old enough where I'm still living in the last century. Glory to God. But what, what I'm referring to, early 1900s to the late 1800s. Amen. Don't go writing me a letter and saying this century is began in 2000. We're in the 22nd century now or whatever you want to say. I don't care. Don't write me about that. Okay. I'm clearing this up in my mind. When I say this century, I'm still thinking the 1900s. Sorry if that offends you. That's just me. Glory to God. Amen. Anyway. Where was I at? (laughs) 
<laughs> the problem is history. Amen. Oh, glory to God. Today's problem is history. And it goes like this. How can a God like the one you claim to believe on in the Bible can let the world get in the message in right now? Or, for that matter, how can the God that you claim is the God of the Bible let the church get in the mess that the church is in right now? Or, how can a good, loving God allow all these bad things to take place in the world? And so we have the problem of history. And if you look around the world, the world is messed up. Famine, war, suffering, sorrow, disease, death. These are all constant problems all around the world. And I'm telling you, if you look at the church, it's in a sad shape as well. You're going to find the church, for the most part, is a mess. There's apostasy, liberalism, a denial of the authenticity of Scripture, a denial of verbal inspiration, a denial of the deity of Jesus, a substitution of every inane type of philosophy imaginable. I mean, there's no question about the fact that this world is messed up. There's no question about the fact that the church is especially messed up. The church is a mess. And so the issue today is if God is really God, why is this world so messed up? Why is God allowing it and why are we having to put up with it? That's the issue today. And it's the great problem that's thrown up in the face of Christianity everywhere today, the problem of history. And that's what we want to deal with today because in this century, and again I'm talking about the century in which we're living as primarily right now in this decade, many Christians find their faith being shaken. Many find them sort of rattling at their roots because of the course of events in the world today. And other people who are not Christians, who are not saved, and who have no faith, they find it very, very difficult to accept that the God of your Bible, the God of our Bible, is really true and in charge of everything in view of the history that's going on in the world today. Devastating world problems that are on the front pages of the newspapers and on the evening news every night, they find it very difficult to reconcile with a loving, caring God as he is presented in the Bible. And really, there's no excuse for this on the part of a Christian. And there's absolutely no excuse for rejection on the part of a non-Christian because the plain teaching of the Bible sets it all straight. Amen. You know, Dr. David Reagan said, uh, if you're trying to, let's see if I can remember what he said, if you're trying to make sense of the Bible, just seek what makes sense and don't seek any other sense or else you're left with nonsense or something along those lines. Glory to God. But, 
the Bible is the beginning and the end all of all faith. You cannot have faith in something outside of the Bible. Your faith has to remain 100% in the Word of God. Even when all hell breaks loose around you, you need to keep your faith in what the Word of God says, even if it costs you your life. Jesus came and died for you to have that privilege of making a choice of what you are going to believe. And if you believe something the world says and reject what the Bible says, you have rejected the word of God. John chapter 1, that word is who was made flesh, Jesus. So if you reject the word of God, you are rejecting Jesus. Despite what the world has to say. You can't have it both ways. A lot of Christians are trying to walk this little tightrope where they're believing and they're they're believing they're saved, they're believing that they're they're living according to God's will, but you know, we don't want to get too far over in that Bible stuff because then some people won't like it. But we don't want to go over completely into the world because then, you know, the Christians will say we're not saved. And, you know, we want to keep God happy. we got to stay in this little narrow spot here. Folks, Jesus didn't come and walk a tightrope. He came and he preached and he demonstrated the power of God. Then he died publicly for all to see and was buried. And then... As Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says, He demonstrated the power of God by being raised from the dead. Glory to God. There is nothing, not one thing in this world that I want, that I need, that I desire to have if it makes me violate the word of God. Period. If it costs me my life, I will not reject the word of God. You see on the evening news, people being held by ISIS and Al-Qaeda and all these groups, these Muslim terrorist groups. And they're saying, if you don't reject Christ, we will kill you. Right here, right now. Some reject Christ and recite the pledge of the Muslim faith. You know, uh, Muhammad's the prophet of God and all that other crap. And then they're executed anyway. So their last breath is rejecting faith in Christ Jesus. Those who hold to their faith, are possibly tortured. Women are raped and mutilated. But yet there are still Christians in this land that despite all that these non-believers do to them, 
they refuse to reject Christ. And when they die, they are ushered into the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and told, Well done, my faithful servant. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. All right, I got a little off track there. Amen. There is no reason for a Christian to be perplexed about the relationship between the Bible and science. We are talking about science here. It's a dead issue, really. It has been proven over and over and over and over and over and over again by archaeological digs that there is nothing more true in all the universe than the statements that the Bible teaches on science and history. Amen. The Bible has not made scientific error, and it does not make scientific error. What do you mean, Brother Bob? Well, now the history problem seems to be the issue. But there really shouldn't be any perplexity about that either because the Bible deals just as explicitly with that as it does with the problem of science. Now, I know that some people are going to write me and say they think the Bible's just a textbook on salvation. That's the beginning and the ending of it. But that's not true. Salvation is just one thread that runs through the entire theme of the Bible from front to back. The Bible's purpose, the Word of God's purpose, is the destiny of the people living in the world. If all the Bible cared about was salvation, then that's all it would preach about. It wouldn't deal with the fall of man. It wouldn't deal with hell. It wouldn't deal with all the things that have to do with living in a godless world. The Bible is infinitely more than a textbook on salvation. Now, it is that. That's true. I mean, that's a major component of it. But it is much more than that. The Word of God, in total revelation, is concerned with the entire world. The condition of the world and the humanity and the destiny of humanity. The Bible, if you so please, has a very profound philosophy of history, and a very distinctive worldview. Amen? Careful reading and study of the Word of God will show this to you. If you just peruse your favorite psalm or reread over and over and over again the Sermon on the Mount or flip around and find your favorite gospel and read it every day, you might not get it. But if you carefully conduct a study of the Word of God, you will find that everything that occurs in history has a place in God's divine plan. The Word of God then is concerned with the whole spectrum of the world and its destiny and the people's destiny that live in it. Amen? Okay, I said all this to get to this point. Glory to God. Habakkuk is an illustration of this problem. Because the prophet treats the problem of history in his book, and he treats it in a fascinating way. Now remember, we're talking about revival in America. Okay? And you're going to see America in this prophecy. You're going to see the condition of America. You're going to see the condition of the church in America. 
And this is just serving today as the introductory lesson, glory to God, to all of this. Habakkuk does not treat it from an academic standpoint. He doesn't treat this from a theoretic standpoint. He doesn't treat it from a philosophical standpoint. He treats it from the personal perplexity in his own life. He has questions, and he wants God to answer them. He says, basically, God, I can't figure out why all this is happening. If you are who you say you are, why is it like this? How many of us ever asked that question? Amen? So, you know, I mean, like I said, the car breaks down and the washing machine breaks down and you're getting laid off and you're overdrawn to the bank and you cry out, God, why is this happening? See, you're just like Habakkuk and you have an absolute right to come to the Almighty God and ask for wisdom and understanding of what's going on. But then you have to have the faith, you have to have the confidence that God will reveal it to you. Sometimes he uses things that you don't anticipate. He could send someone to talk to you. He could send a donkey to talk to you. Amen. God used the donkey to talk to the prophet. Glory to God. He can send you to a part of the Bible you don't normally read, like the book of Habakkuk. You see, the Gospels are good, but it's not the entirety of the Word of God. The Gospels is just the testimony of a few of the apostles about what the historical facts were about Jesus when he was in the earth. And each gospel talks about a different facet of what Jesus was doing here. Paul's letters that make up two-thirds of the New Testament are answering questions that some Christians and churches had about living by faith. The book of Revelation was given to John so that the believers could understand when the end times were beginning. The Old Testament is made up so we can see where we came from in our faith and the reason Jesus had to die in our place. So there's different facets of what's going on. So when you're reading and you're praying to God, why are these things happening? He may lead you to read the book of Genesis. He may lead you to read the book of Jonah. He may lead you to read the book of Habakkuk. Or any other gospel, glory to God. Or any other chapter or book in the Bible. So I want to join now with Habakkuk in the experience he is facing right now. He's troubled by what he is seeing in the world around him, just as we are troubled in what we see going on in the world around us. Amen? Well, what was the situation in Habakkuk's day? Well, the situation in his day was that Israel, his nation, 
was backslidden. That's nothing new for Israel, just as it's nothing new for the United States. Israel had turned from serving God. Israel had forgotten God. Israel was completely given over to idolatry. And that begins, as we read in verse 2, the real cry of his heart as he looks at Israel and says this, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? How long shall I even cry unto you of the violence and you will not save? Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance for spoiling and violence are before me? And there are those who raise up strife and confusion. Therefore the law is slack and justice does not go forth for the wicked has surrounded about the righteous. Therefore justice goes forth perverted. We could say almost the same thing today. Amen? I mean, this is a horrible picture of Israel that Habakkuk is giving. And the prayer that he is praying is, God, they're in a mess. I've been asking you and asking you and crying out for you to change it. Why don't you do something about this mess? How long do I have to cry to you and you won't listen? There's many people that can look at the United States and say the same exact thing. This is a horrible picture of Israel, and it's a horrible picture of the United States today. And the prayer that Habakkuk is praying is, God, we're messed up. I've been asking you, and asking you, and asking you, and asking you, crying out for you to change it. Why don't you do something about this? How long do I have to cry and you won't listen? What a situation. Sin and immorality were rampant. Those in government were slack and indifferent, just like today. And those who applied the law did it dishonestly. Justice was nowhere to be found. Bribes were rampant, just like today. Only today we call it political donations. Habakkuk, a man of God, has had his heart just bleeding for God as to why God allows this. And this, that's the condition that Israel was in. Lawlessness, sin, immorality, and such as that. Just like we are living in today. As we look around the world, we see the same characteristics exactly as in Habakkuk's day. In verse 2, he says, there is violence. Well, that's a watchword for today. Every single day you hear about violence on the news. You know, when I was growing up and a murder was committed, even in two towns over, it made the evening news. It made the newspapers. It was a big deal. Now, every day, it's not a matter of if someone was murdered this day, but how many? Four, five, you know, Chicago, 10, 20, in one day. 
Violence is everywhere. And verse 3 says, there's iniquity. There's violence again. There are those who raise up strife and contention. There are revolutionaries stirring up trouble. Verse 4, therefore the law is slack. There's no justice fairly and honestly administered. Law and authority are not dealing fairly and honestly. That's some of the accusations being hurled around today, isn't it? It's difficult to find justice in this world, just as it was in the days of Habakkuk. And so Habakkuk is perplexed by the situation he's facing, and he cries out to God and says, God, if you are who you say you are, why are you letting this happen? And we stand by in our country today, and we can look at God with almost the same quizzical expression in our brain and say, God, why is this happening? Why is it that we as Christians are constantly crying out about these things and there's nothing changing? It only gets worse. So the situation wasn't very good. And if you think that situation was bad... Wait until you get a hold of the solution. In verses 5 to 11, Habakkuk gets probably the most unusual answer to prayer that anybody ever got. Amen. If you think God's inactivity was perplexing, just notice his activity. Habakkuk was perplexed in verses 2 to 4, but it must have been nothing compared to what's going on in his head after he hears God's answer. Glory to God. Verse 5, God says, Behold, among the nations in regard. God doesn't say, I'm going to use your prayer and everything's going to be sunshine and roses. No, he says, And wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days. First of all, I'm going to work a work which you will not believe even though it's told to you. And here's the answer to Habakkuk's prayer. Verse 6. For lo, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and nasty and hasty nation, which will march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not there. They are terrible. They are dreadful. Their judgment, their dignity shall proceed from themselves. Then he describes their horses and the swiftness which they're going to conquer. Their horsemen are going to cover the land. They're going to come swiftly like an eagle. In verse 9, they're coming to do violence. They've set their faces forward. That means they're not going to be distracted. They've got a goal and an objective in mind, and they're going to go at it and not stop till they get there. It says they shall gather the captives as the sand. They're going to pick up the whole nation of Israel. They'll scoff and laugh at the kings and princes. They'll deride every stronghold. They're going to heap dust and take it. And then in verse 11, they're going to glory and think they did it because of the power of their own God. 
You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.